Heavenly Father, thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, your compassion, your unending love, your everlasting love that goes on forever and ever 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 and ever. Oh boy, let that sink in to all of us, Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For those who are live streaming in and watching and wondering why I'm wearing this uh, awesome bling uniform, it's fun to wear. Um, I'm a fire department chaplain, and uh, I'll be part of a Fallen Firefighters Memorial today. So this sermon uh, does not reflect the fire department. This reflects what we teach here at Hope, Hope Fellowship, just, so, just in case you know the, the opinions expressed or <laughs> that one. So there's my disclosure done, just in case somebody complains. So, Yeah. Today, I'm a, a bit nervous about this one. I said last week it was the last one, but this is really the last one of this series. Um, something hit me uh, this week, uh, and I realized, oh, 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 I want to share this, because uh, all part of building this case is, and I'm going to be talking about the journey of growing, and revelation happens in stages, all right? Um, some of you, if, it depends how keen your ears are. There's something going to be implied, and if you hear it the wrong way, you're going to get mad. But if you hear it the right way, it's going to be great. So uh, I'm not going to tell you which is which. Because. <laughs> so the journey of growing. We all grow and learn in different stages. Not every person believes the same thing as the person sitting beside them. You don't believe the same things you believed as a child to what you believe now. Well, my own personal journey, I don't tell, I'm not going to tell you the story, but my biblical foundation was in church. I grew up churched. German Baptist, strict, strict, yes, double strict, and so that was my foundation, but then uh, as I continued to grow in my understanding, of who, this is about the journey of understanding who God is, okay, so the uh, emotional expression and denominational flavors were abundant in my life, uh, I call myself multi-tribal, because I've been a part of so many denominations and experienced so many types of church services, and uh, I learned how to do that, if you're stuck in just one that's, that's, that's all you got, and everybody else seems weird. But as you begin to explore and see there are other expressions, especially in other cultures, we're not the only expression. Then I continued to grow, and I went to school, and I got brainwashed with theological structures. You know, and that's okay, but many schools, Bible college seminaries, they will um, uh, almost pigeonhole you into only thinking what they as a group and who sponsors them believes. That's the danger of only having one place of school. Um, I had the privilege of a theological professor named Glenn Boyce uh, at Emmanuel Bible College who got in trouble, but he thought outside the box. And he taught us not to believe theology, he taught us how to think. And he always gave a stupid response to when we gave an answer. Why? Because my Sunday school teacher told me that as a kid. He just grilled us. Why? 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 He was like a young little kid asking mom and dad, why? Why? But he, this is the teacher doing it to us. He was not going to let us get away with pat answers. No, no offense, Pat. You know. <laughs> so then, honesty, as I continue to grow, forced me to question some of the answers because I've been given a ton of answers in churchianity. The church told me, here's what to believe, and this is the way we believe, and don't you dare question it. Now, as I wrestle with tough questions, I'm questioning those answers, and it's actually quite beautiful. 
The deeper and wider study has exposed me to better answers than what I've been given. I don't have all the answers anymore. I come out of Bible college and you're led to believe that you know it all now. You're supposed to be the Bible answer person and everybody comes to you for wisdom. So your head gets, you know, and everybody relies on you because you're pastor. Man, what a silly elevation. If they could only reverse things and keep pastoral roles equal with everyone else. Same rank as custodian. Same rank as kitchen help. Same rank as Sunday school teacher. Same as sound, as worship. There should not be an elevation because suddenly we say, oh, I want to be like them. Don't. Try to be like Jesus. And hopefully they're reflecting Jesus. That'd be great. Then it's a good example. I'm still growing. Because I'm now finding that my study is causing me to look deeper and wider, look at other backgrounds, and more historical answers versus new theology in the last 100 years even, or 200 or 400. But go back to the early church fathers from AD 30 all the way to, let's even 300 or 400, 500, and, and just learn the patterns, see what they saw. Um, there's so much to learn. Some of those writers are really hard to read. Yee, it, it just is. So, but that's, that's how I've grown. So I, I'm, I'm growing. There are stages. You know, what I believed about Jesus as a five-year-old, I, some of it's still the same, but it has matured in its expression, in its terminology and language and, and deeper understanding. So then we come to this. The stages of growth that we see in Scripture, and we've shared this before. In 1 John 2, it talks about children, young adults, adults, child, young man, father. Those are the, if it depends which translation you read. Um, there are stages of growth, and each one has um, a picture of what that stage looks like. So for the first one, for child level, uh, the idea of um, children, I, um, I tell you this so you know who your father is. It says, I speak to you children because, so you know your sins are forgiven. So this is child level, baby level, child, recognizing who your daddy is, realizing who we, that we are already forgiven. Many people don't know daddy. They don't know papa. They don't. It's very sad. There's more of a focus on self and who am I in Christ because many people don't even know who they are in Christ. This is a beautiful stage, but you're not supposed to stay there. There's so much more to come. Then he talks about young adults. This is about releasing hope to others, serving others. This is where we practice our, our beliefs and we wrestle. How many teenagers do you know go through emotional ups and downs and whether it's hormones and you name it and uh, they now know everything because the teacher at school told them and they come home and tell mom and dad and we're going, oh my goodness, are you kidding? You know, uh, silly stuff. Like even one time I came home from grade eight and uh, I said to my dad, teacher told us we have to do dishes in cold water. We're supposed to use cold water. That's, that's what the teacher told us in home ec because we had home ec back then and I like to eat it in the food. That's why I took the class. So the, my dad says, that's his kvatch means nuts. You're crazy. That teacher's crazy. What are you talking about? And then he schooled me that use warm water. Anyway, I knew that already, but it's just I came home and changed it because the teacher said so. And so there's a, all these beliefs that get challenged and you question and somebody else influences you. And it's all this bombardment of, of growing. And that happens to many of us when we're deconstructing uh, our false beliefs about God. Now we're having new info coming out. Oh no, which is true? How do we handle this? 
that's what the young adult stage is. It's more focused on who Christ is versus who am I in Christ. Now we focus on who Christ is in me. Spiritual gifts are discovered and developed. Discover that, oh, by the way, Jesus is the gift anyway. Just in case you start to cherry pick, oh, I want that gift, I want that one. You don't get to cherry pick. Jesus is the spiritual gift. Period. How he chooses to express himself through you is his choice. If it happens to be tongues one day and not again, <gasps> but I have to maintain it now because everybody knows I have the gift of tongues. So I better make it up if I can't, it doesn't come naturally. It happens. Okay? Be careful. Jesus is the gift. Lastly, adult stage is reproducing hope in others. Not just releasing it, but now reproducing. You become a mentor, a disciple maker. Uh, it's more fo- focused on our union with God. It's us for others instead of who am I in Christ or who is Christ in me. Uh, it's now investing in others. It's actually encouraging the child and young adults and forgiving them big time when they misuse terminology or have incorrect theology. You're forgiving and gentle to them because you've gone through your journey too and are still going. So that's this one. Then I get to, I mean, this is where it's going to get scary for me today. Um, progressive revelation. Building a case for progressive revelation. I've been inspired by many individuals, but today's message is greatly inspired by Martin Trench and Brad Jerzak. Uh, as I've heard them explain some of the stuff I'm going to share with you, uh, the, uh, they put it into words better, and now I get to share it with you through my lens all put together. But let's take a look at this for a minute. The Bible is not a flat book where everything written is equal in authority, nor is every sentence for everyone. The Bible is a progressive revelation of who God is and his passion for his creation. That can scare somebody if you're hearing this for the first time, especially if you're quite fundamental. Because uh, suddenly you're going to think, you're challenging the infallibility of Scripture? No, I'm not. I'm challenging you to wake up. I'm challenging you to do a proper hermeneutic study. Biblical interpretation, which requires context, requires history, it requires audience, who is this person speaking to, and in what language, all through Scripture. We know that we cannot apply Old Testament law to today. We're under the New Covenant. We know that already. But I believe there's evidence now, just like this child, young man, father, just like me growing up in faith, there's a progressive revelation of who God is from Genesis right through to Christ. I want to share that with you. This got me real excited. This is going to build the case for Christ. We're not necessarily taught wrong stuff growing up, but God could only teach or spoon feed us so much. Now he set a banquet table before us all, and on that table are these revelations. Number one, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. This is a huge revelation. And oh, it's not a secret anymore because it's right there in the written word of God. Then we have, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We covered that one really well lately. So that's another really big revelation. Then we have, God has always been like Jesus. Uh Uh-oh, say it again. God has always been like Jesus. And Jesus came to clarify and confirm and correct the faulty images about his Father. 
you going to talk about my dad like that? Oh, yeah? That's kind of what it is. That's kind of what Jesus came. Not, not in the toughy, fun way, but, but in the authentic, deep truth way. What else? My clicker's not working right. I don't know why. The mystery is no longer a mystery. It has been revealed. This is no longer secret. So if you're saying, this is new to me, well, bingo, new to you. Not everyone else and not in history. This is open for everyone to see. This is no longer a secret. So what do we do with the Old Testament teachings then that seem to contradict the teachings of Jesus? Isn't that a good question? Well, maybe some guest speaker will address this. No, no kidding. <laughs> Because I think you'll leave and you'll get in trouble. Just kidding. Here's some things to remember when we're starting to explore this journey, this progressive revelation throughout Scripture. Number one, the Old Testament reveals a lot of great truths about God. What am I not saying there? <laughs> wink, wink. You figured it out. It reveals Jesus, by the way, and it points to Jesus. Jesus is the theme of the Old Testament. There is a... Um, uh, some temptations today to toss out the Old Testament. Even toss the Bible, some people say. We don't need the Bible. Well, guess what? It actually reveals an awful lot. And even in the Old Testament, you don't throw it out. God used the people of Israel as the, the group of people to reveal who he is and how he works and how gracious he is, how patient he is. Don't toss it out. Just because there are contradictions doesn't mean we toss the Old Testament. And there are contradictions. Jesus confirmed the contradictions in the Sermon on the Mount. Oh my goodness. So before Abraham, there were some concepts of God, perceptions. And so before Abraham, gods were just big deities, you know, like Thor or Zeus and that, you know, the, the big, these big scary guys who had certain superpowers. But there wasn't one who had all of them. You know, unless it's Captain Marvel. Just kidding. But this idea of gods, this is the concept of every pagan group that existed. Everyone had concepts of God. In those concepts, they, each god needed a certain kind of appeasing. You had to do certain things to be okay or get blessed. And you did horrible things like child sacrifice. It was the greatest sacrifice you can do is offer your firstborn. So sorry, firstborns. <laughs> It's a bad world for you. <laughs> but this was the greatest sacrifice that one could give. And this happened all the time. It was not uncommon. Uh, it was also done to give offerings to, to their small G gods so they could win wars and battles. Very manipulative. Dear God, may the Patriots win this next football game. May the Jays win this next game. We do the same thing today. We go to our God and treat him like this, oh, come on, take the other team out, and, you know, wait a minute, both teams just knelt and prayed. Did you notice that? What does God do when both teams kneel and pray? He sits back, and he's going to watch a really good game. <laughs> God is just a tribal God, only stuck in a location, sometimes even in an object. So it's a controlled God in a sense. Now we come to Abraham. This is where the progressive revelation comes. Abraham discovers, instead of some distant small g God that's in a tribal mindset, he's now called a friend of God. 
That's the first time that idea was possible. He also found that God was not in favor of child sacrifice. So when Abraham was asked by God to go sacrifice his child, he didn't bat an eyelash. There's not a single word in Scripture in the, in the uh, presentation of that story that implies he went, what? He went, okay, that's normal. Everyone else does it. So God was using that as an illustration your people, your world says I'm like this, but I'm nothing like this. So I'm going to use this child sacrifice, um, um, what I'm going to set you up for, to show you who I really am, and that's not who I am. And so by the time he gets to sacrificing Isaac, and by the way, he said, Dad, where is the goat? Where, where? Oh, the Lord will provide. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, you know, God finally gives them an animal to sacrifice. Later, we also find out God didn't want any sacrifices anyway. Okay? Like, this is a progression. So Abraham didn't know God. We, we sometimes think Abraham, oh, he just had this great friendship with God, and he was super tight, you know, he knew God. No, he didn't. He came from brutal pagan world, much idol worship. And God used him and called him out as favor. He also revealed that uh, idol worship was bad. That was, that was, what? What do you mean bad? Because everybody respected all the idols. Nah, God's saying, I'm not to be messed with and I'm not to be shared with. And then God adds. So if he's removing idol worship is bad, child sacrifice is bad, now God's adding some things to his uh, roster of who God is. And he shows him he's a God of covenants. He shows Abraham he can be trusted. Little snippets. God couldn't reveal Jesus to him. It was way too much. So we had to give small little snippets and begin to take away faulty thinking and add better ones. And he does that with each person as I'm going through. Each one has something added. Judaism introduced this most important revelation. God used it, used the, Jude, uh, the Jews and the whole history of Israel to bring this revelation to the world. Thank God for Judaism. Don't mock it. Well, they're wrong. They don't believe Jesus is Messiah. So What? Their history brought us the revelation of Jesus. Celebrate. Celebrate what they do bring. Quit pointing out all that wrong stuff. That's my last point, but oh well, you get it now. Moses, what happened with Moses? He had a mixed bag of beliefs too. But he's seen God's glory, cloud by day, fire by night. And as uh, Jennifer read, you know, this is about uh, show me your glory. So he shows his glory. And then he teaches Moses a different name. He says, I am. I am what? Not just I am, but I'm gracious. I am slow to anger. I am kind. And the, the, the revelation, the good news is being added to his backpack of beliefs. And God removes a couple bad ones. These are incorrect. Uh, I think that's all we can do for now. Now that bag gets handed to Moses' next generation. And each bag gets passed down. Every backpack, it's passed down to your kids. You're, bringing, you're leading your kids. You're passing down revelations to your children even today. Prophets. God sent the prophets to do what? Well, he added many good traits. And he also pointed out, here are some things you've got to stop doing. And that's what the prophets did. They weren't pastors. They were prophets who weren't too... Um, Concerned about uh, reputation. <laughs> and they said the tough stuff. They called out kings and leaders and people and nations, especially certain cities even. But 
He's saying, hey, he used the prophets to redirect and correct those things that did not reflect who God was. Always trying to correct their beliefs. All the way through, every prophet that comes through the Old Testament does that. Then we come to David. This is beautiful. So if Moses has the I am, uh, sorry, Abraham, no, Moses has I am, and then we have the name Yahweh that comes out of that I am Yahweh, and all these names which are really important. Now David takes it to a different level. He says he's not the shepherd out there. He's my shepherd. He's my redeemer. My strong tower. My fortress. My deliverer. It's far more intimate. Then he writes songs and he invites everyone else to join in singing. And they're singing a deeper revelation of who God is. Far more personal. David brought that in. So you can see the progression. We got uh, Adam and Eve, Abraham, um, then Moses, and now we have David, and the prophets are all going through this. Then we come to Jonah. Oh, this is a good one. Jonah, Jonah, Jonah. Wow. So Jonah's got an attitude problem. He sees everybody else not like him as evil. <laughs> he's, a, he's, a, he's a Jewish jerk. In many ways, you know, elite and entitled because he has greater revelation than everyone else. And it shows, at least in, in what we see written, there's honesty there. And we get to see in the heart of a man and we find ourselves. We find ourselves. He sees many as evil, hates them even, excludes them. He's the great prophet of exclusion. <laughs> oh my goodness. God changes his heart and attitude. Calls him to go to a certain city and preach. And he said, nah, and takes off and goes in another boat and gets tossed overboard as the story goes, swallowed by some fish as the story goes, and then finally bleh, gets thrown up and then he goes and preaches. Finally, he goes and preaches. And I think he went, God loves you and he's got a great plan for your life. They, I told them, God, I told them, there I'm done. Right? <laughs> Attitude. God reveals he's not bound to country lines, but lives everywhere. As he was trying to leave the area where he was supposed to go, he tried to go to a place where he didn't think God was. And God now reveals, I'm actually everywhere. Peekaboo. <laughs> where can I run from your presence? Nowhere. God adds... So he's removing these faulty beliefs, and now he adds, I have compassion not only on Israel, but on all people and animals. I'm surprised that line is in there. I'm surprised by that, but now I'm not. As I'm discovering who God is and how we're all in union with him and each other and how our world is connected, God created those animals. There's a connection there. We Need to be kind. If you know somebody that's not kind to animals, they're not going to treat people kindly either. We need to be kind. Matthew 5. Here we go. The Sermon on the Mount was a correcting of a false image of a retributive God, violent, violent God in the Old Testament. The stories that were shared and written by the Jewish writers were incomplete. They were not accurate. As we now see through Christ, it's impossible that they were accurate. Because Jesus is correcting and correcting and correcting. You'll see him say, you have heard it said this, but I say. You have said, you've said this, 
But I say this, or like he ups the ante where, where they brought down the impossible to kind of make it possible to please God. Jesus comes in, no, that's what you say, but boom, I'm showing you, uh-uh, impossible. It was, never, it was never possible in your works to please God. That was never God's plan. The law was a setup from the beginning to point you to Christ and realize you cannot do it in your own strength or will. The Old Testament, the people of Israel were not ready for real grace, Jesus. So God had to teach them slowly, step by step, stage by stage. And it was. It, it, it took all those years. Look how many years that Old Testament covers. Each time there is a revelation, there's something bigger and wider and bigger and better or challenged and removed all the way through. And Christ, Christ comes and is the big breakthrough. He reveals the great Abba. First time. So far we have God, small g, deity. Then we have um, friend, really? Okay, you're still distant. Then David says, my shepherd. And then it goes on and on until we come to Jesus. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's better. It's Papa. Abba, Daddy, that's who I'm revealing. You haven't had it right yet. In the Gospels, over 70 times this is shared. And this is the first time in history God is revealed in such intimate terms. David got close. But right here, it gets big. Jesus introduces prayer with a new lens. He says, when you pray, our Abba, our Father... He's saying our. He's defining who God is daddy of. Oh, our. Instead of, oh, Lord, if God is the father of heaven and earth, if we beseeches thee to bless us now. You know, nah. <laughs> and people do pray like that. I've been in those churches. They love to hear themselves. That's not what Jesus came to do. He said, I'm going to show you, Daddy. You've not known him, but now I'm revealing his name. They already had names. Jesus said, Father, I've revealed them to you. I've come to reveal you to them. They already had the name Yahweh. They didn't need Yahweh or El Shaddai. They didn't have Daddy. They didn't have Father. John 14, it says, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's through me you can know Daddy. I'm bringing you the revelation of Daddy. It's only through Christ, and we do find out that at the cross, all of it happened through Christ anyway, whether you like it or not. It happened. But it's through Jesus we know the Father. No one can know the Father except the Son, and no one can know the Father except those that the Son allows them to see. It's Jesus who opens our eyes. You can now experience him as Papa Abba. Now you can experience this. This changes history for everyone. John 15. Abide in me and I in you. He reveals the importance of union. And being aware of our connection. 
Remember him saying, Father, may they see that you are in me and I am in you and that they are in us. <sighs> Pre-cross. How is that possible? I don't know. Maybe something about found before the foundations of the world. Maybe time and space has an issue. This is a quantum truth there that we don't understand and get. Uh, like I said, we don't have all the answers anymore. Be, be very wary of someone who has all the answers. The church world is set up to give answers for every question. We have books on it. There are cubby holes for ev almost everything. And if you, as long as you have those cubby holes and you think you have all the answers, you don't have to think. You don't have to feel. And the only feeling you have is arrogance. But you don't even feel that because you have the arrogance of trusting the box instead of the indwelling life of Christ who may be shifting you and moving you and loosening you for more and greater, deeper, wider revelation, still adding and removing, adding and removing, adding and removing. Are you okay with that? No, but I, this is who God is. Oh, really? He's that contained. John 17 is that prayer that I just told you about. Father, I've made your name known to them. What name? Not Yahweh or else you die. They already knew those. The name that Christ alone revealed was Abba. Not as a label, but to experience. People didn't need to know about God. They needed to feel and experience Him. Why do you think there was a work of the Holy Spirit in the early church in the upper room where the fire came on them and the fire came on the Gentiles and the fire came on, oh my goodness, those, all those spirit coming on people. They, they got to feel it. And we in the Western world who are more conservatives, you know, we, we, we shun the crazy charismatics. We think, oh, you know what, that's all. You're just about feelings. Feelings, you've got no knowledge. And they're saying, well, you guys got all head knowledge but no experience whatsoever. We need all of it. Neither is right and complete. Don't mock them. That's what the love of God will do to you ultimately is remove you as a judger. Instead, turn you into a lover unconditional lover. Cornelius, ho oh, ho, I love this story. This story will blow your socks off and can get me in trouble today. Cornelius is not a Christian at the beginning of the story. Yet God heard his prayers, approved his almsgiving, and deemed him acceptable to God. I'm going to repeat some of this in a minute, just the way I had to prepare this. That's big. This is before he's a Christian. Don't call unclean what I've called clean is a revelation that Peter gets. Don't call unholy what I call holy, Peter gets. And call no man unholy or unclean. No man, no person. Here's a short story of what happened here. I'm going to try and sneak ahead here to see where I am because I need to know what's coming up. But basically, Peter's on the roof of a house and uh, he's having this vision. And God drops down this uh, this is close to Acts 10, so if you're looking where it is, Acts 10-ish. Um, Peter has this vision of unclean, Jewish unclean food being lowered down by God. He says, hey, barbecue it. And Peter says, not a chance. I'm a good Jew. And okay, up it goes. Then another second time. Three times the thing came down. Barbecue, eat. Use sauce, I don't care. You know, ribs are basically a delivery form of sauce. You've seen, heard that commercial? Anyway. Peter said, no, 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 no. 
Remember, remember who Peter is. Saint Peter, that guy, the guy who walked on water, lucky, the guy who hacked off a guy's ear and watched it be fixed and healed. That'd be cool to see the second half. You know, um, this is Peter who denied Jesus and Jesus restored him. This is the Peter who saw, heard, rested on Jesus' shoulder, probably wept when he wasn't a tough guy. This is that Peter. And he's now in a place of tremendous influence and leadership, and he still has to grow. God's removing something from him he didn't know. There was a blind side or blind spot that he was not aware of, and God was showing him, I'm not done yet. We think, well, he's arrived. Peter's not arrived. Paul even called him out publicly. That's humiliating, but he received it eventually. So God's taking a brick out of his backpack. said, this is not me. I'm going to show you something even better. He says, there's some people coming. They're coming for you. Go with them. Okay. Knock, 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 knock. Like almost probably minutes later. What the, huh? And there are these people say, we're from this city and Cornelius uh, would like you to come. So he goes to meet Cornelius. Cornelius is an Italian regiment leader. And uh, he was known to worship God and give alms to the poor, as we just read, all that fun stuff. And Peter speaks to him and says something profound. He says, oh my goodness, listen to this. God has shown me, and please go to your Bibles later and read this yourself, because when you see it with your own eyes, it's going to shake you for a bit because the church has not taught this very well or at all. He says to Cornelius, Cornelius, God has shown me that I'm not to call anything or anyone unholy or unclean. No one. He's in the home of a Gentile. God has shown me, Peter, the, the Jewish guy who spoke, speaks to the Jews and is supposed to be like the great revealer of Jesus to the Jews, and he's going, oh man, I just had my marble shaken. You know, I, I thought I knew God, and I did, but there's more. He just showed me he loves all of you too. And suddenly the Spirit of God came on them. <laughs> yeah, who do we call unclean or unholy? Oh my goodness, if we're honest, a lot of people. And Jesus is sharing through this story. Uh-uh. God has already made them clean. Read it yourself. Don't just take my word or I'll get in trouble. Before he is a Christian, Cornelius, listen to this. This is, this is evidence that God is at work spiritually in many different ways in different places. He practices prayer. Do we make fun of people that are praying, that don't believe in God as we do? I used to. My heritage caused me to. That was just the way I was brought up. They're not really praying to the real God. Ha, ha, ha. We, make, you know, we kind of jest and we have our elite little snob attitude towards people. It's terrible. But he's praying. Before he's a Christian, he's giving alms. And it was confirmed to Peter that God found it acceptable. Good. He's already cleansed, but he's not a believer. How does that work? Because you can't work it. 
God did that work already. He has spiritual experiences that include angelic visitations, words of knowledge, and even he's given an address for where Peter was. Seriously. A non-believer. That's got to be cool. Don't you think it's cool? I think it's amazing. What? Nobody showed me this before. It gets better. God in Peter completely validates Cornelius' faith practices and spiritual experiences and endorses him as acceptable by God and as someone who knows in that way. Peter doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, um, oh, you've had your spiritual experience. You believe in God? Great, fantastic, see you next time. That was a waste of a trip. No, he sees that Cornelius is ripe to hear the good news that God is Abba, as revealed by Christ. He didn't necessarily need the cross, per se, to be revealed to him. He needed Abba to be revealed. It was just a distant, he knew there's something real. But Peter came and brought the personal, and they were filled with the Spirit. Oh my, and, and, I think Peter freaked out. How is that possible? They're not even Jews. And they're being filled with spirit. They're speaking in tongues. They're doing all that weird, wacky stuff that we go, oh no. It was real. Peter then shares the gospel. Then the spirit falls on Cornelius in a way that Cornelius had not experienced yet. He'd had experiences. But not yet like this. Once the gospel was shared, the good news, the reconciliation declared, the Spirit fell on them. Hmm. What does this mean for us? When we meet people who have an expression of spirituality, we can celebrate where they're at instead of bashing or judging everything that could be wrong. Oh, we're good at that in the Christian world. Christians are terrible at this judging thing. First of all, if you have another denomination that you don't agree with, that's easy. You judge them off. But what about somebody who doesn't even believe in God and they believe in Buddha or they believe in Muslim faith or they have any, anything like that? Do we, what do we do? We're unkind big time. Stop. Be Jesus. Celebrate spiritual awakening. Look for what's at the... We're sitting at the same table, people. Everyone's hungry to know who this God is. We bring what we have had a revelation of. They'll bring something to the table. We're, th this, is, this is about loving unconditionally. And it's not about convincing either. The Holy Spirit's the only one who can do that. Just be and share and let the Holy Spirit do the work. He doesn't need your help. We can recognize, oh yeah, we're at the same table. Find a healthy way to hear what you teach and bring to the table. I had a, a chat with a Buddhist woman recently who shared the story of her family going through a funeral and the rituals that are involved in the funeral, and she explained why certain parts of the ritual were happening. I mean, I'm, I'm loving this. This is amazing. What deep spiritual hunger. I caught that. I didn't say, yeah, but that's incomplete. You need to know Jesus or you're, you're going to burn, baby. I didn't know. 
I celebrated the truth I heard. I believe my, I have a different revelation that's wider and bigger and better. So I wanted to love and be respectful of this person. Whether I'm right or wrong is irrelevant. Being kind, human to human, is looking like Jesus. We can recognize that it's up to Jesus to guide anyone into an authentic revelation of himself. He does not depend on us for any outcome. Well, God needs us to, to do this. You know, we say God is love, but then people throw in, yeah, but God needs to be just. <laughs> Father Lazar Palau in BC spoke to Brad Jerzak and when he had that conversation about God needs, and Lazar leaned over to Brad and said, This is how I heard in the video, God needs? That's heresy. <laughs> God doesn't need anything, He is complete. We need that revelation. God needs nothing. He doesn't need you to do ministry for him. He doesn't need you to lead someone to Christ. He doesn't need you for anything. He wants you in a deep relationship with him. And out of that relationship, he will naturally connect you as he wants to or not wants to. Religion has caused faith in Christ to become a system of behaviors and rules. That is not relationship. Let's pray. Father, I pray that each person here, each person watching or listening, will recognize they are on a progressive journey of you being revealed to them. May we recognize we're not done. May we see the scriptures with new eyes and realize the writers had a limited revelation until Christ came. They meant well. Shared stories from a perspective may or may not be completely accurate. We don't know. But Jesus sure did correct it. Thank you for Jesus. May we look to him to understand the Old Testament, not the Old Testament to understand Jesus. For the Old Testament points us to your son. Wake us up. Grow us up. May we keep growing in grace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.